0: In August of 2010, perhaps you uh, have read this story. A woman by the name of Judy Rivers went to her local bank to open a new account. Well, as the clerk put the information in, personal information, everything seemed to be going smoothly, and then suddenly she kind of stopped and hesitated and looked a little askance at Judy, and she said, you know, This is odd. There seems to be an issue regarding your social security number. So with a bit of a skeptical glance at this woman, she excused herself and disappeared into a back room. And several minutes later, out came the branch manager who was holding an official-looking paper. (laughs) And she said to Judy Rivers, Ma'am, your social security number was deactivated in 2008 due to death. (laughs) <laughs> she was a bit incredulous and said, so you're saying, you're saying that I've been dead for two years and no one bothered to tell me? <laughs> well, evidently this is not unusual. It's estimated that every year some 12,200 U.S. citizens are declared dead by the Social Security Administration all through just the stroke of a key. 2011, the Office of the Inspector General conducted an audit of the death master file and found that from May 2007 to April 2010, over 36,000 people had been deleted. Declared dead. Every one of them, but very much alive. That's right. <laughs> now that is a significant problem to have, no doubt. You know, I've heard other stories of people for whom this has happened, and, and it takes a ton of work to uh, to convince the government that you really are alive and 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 worthy of a social security number. I was thinking about that in relationship to our our spiritual lives. How ironic it is that that followers of of Jesus really do strive for what Judy Rivers had through the stroke of a key to to be. Dead to self is something that we've talked a lot about at Applewood. We are very much alive, and and we wish, don't we, that the spiritual authorities would just consider us dead. The spiritual authorities and powers of darkness, the rulers in the dark places, if they would just consider us dead and leave us alone, not pay any attention to us. If, If it could just... Be that easy. If there was just a keystroke or, you know, you push a switch, done, no longer bothered by sin, yes, I've arrived. Just never works that way. Last week we talked about freedom in Christ. Paul told the Galatians, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And what does that mean? We discovered that free from the demands of the law, which no one can keep and free from legalistic traditions that others think we ought to keep in order to be a true follower of Jesus. And, and I suggested to you that, that I think ultimately it means that, that we are free from a bondage of living life for ourselves. Whether we're trying to please God by keeping certain rules or keeping rules that others put upon us in terms of our, our faith. Others think we should live a certain way. The ultimate problem for every human being is a life that is lived with a focus upon self, an awareness of self. How am I coming across and how do people perceive me and how am I doing and what do they think? Paul refers to it as, as the sinful flesh. We are born with an obligation to live for self, to try and earn the favor of God and of others because we we want them to to think well of us so that we can be blessed by others. The Bible teaches us that when we accept the gift of God's grace through His Son, Jesus Christ, the Spirit comes into our lives and and empowers us to live a life that says no, no, to that natural self-focus and, yes, to a God-focus. And the Holy Spirit is that, is that key that gets pushed, is that, is that switch. He is the one who gives us the power to lay down our lives every day and in countless ways for the purpose of, of living in such a way that God is experienced through us. But it takes being intentional. We talked about that last week. There is just no simple solution to dead to self. It just doesn't happen just like that. We must, we must work at dying to self, dying to those desires of our flesh that want to call attention to us, that want to make sure that we're okay, that are concerned about us. It takes work. And we, we learn to do that, I think, by listening to and following the leadings of the Spirit. And to learn to hear his voice and recognize his promptings, some of which might go like this. That prompting to forgive that person again. To be patient for the 150th time today. To not speak those angry words that are so deserved. To not make that gesture to the driver who has cut you off. <laughs> to give away that extra money you have saved for something special. Oh please Lord, not that To apologize first and not wait. To not say another nasty thing about either one of the candidates that are running for office. Ooh. I threw that in because of our text this morning. It, uh, it, it it surfaces. The Spirit of God will speak into the situations of our lives, those situations that impact us. I don't really think that the Spirit of God is concerned about the breakfast cereal that we eat. I don't really think that he's terribly concerned about the car that we drive. I'm not even sure he's all that concerned <clears throat> about what we watch on TV. But he is concerned about how we relate to others. And do we make those relationships about us or do we make those relationships about blessing others and ultimately bringing glory to him? Seems to me that that's where the Spirit speaks into our lives in situations that have to do with, with comfort and security and reputation and future, the Spirit will, I'm just gonna say, the Spirit will always, I really believe this, He will always call us to live a life of sacrifice. Because to live a life of sacrifice means that we are trusting the one who has called us to live that life of sacrifice and there is nothing that brings him greater glory than when we trust him. I'm sure I've said to you before that one of my favorite quotes from John Piper is that nothing brings glory to God, the creator, more than when those who are created say to him, we need you. Well, of course we do. We're created. We need God. And He's greatly glorified. And so why wouldn't the Spirit of those who are new creations in Christ Jesus, why wouldn't the Spirit push us to live at the edge of personal sacrifice on a regular basis? Why? Well, I think it has to do with the fact that we follow Jesus. We claim him as our Lord, and he lived a life of sacrifice calls his followers to do the same if you uh, If you read into titus' letter this week, or perhaps you're still planning to read into Titus' letter this week, or maybe you're in the midst of reading in Titus' letter this week, it, it really doesn't matter the, this idea of 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 sacrifice, of call to something different, just explodes out of Titus. We know that we know that Titus traveled with the Apostle Paul on his missionary journeys. Um, good chance that he was probably a convert of Paul's teaching, and he he was left on the island of Crete after they had been there together. We we're told to straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders <clears throat> excuse me, in every town. And a read through the letter makes it clear that, that, that the Cretans knew very little about the gospel and a life of following Jesus. It's really important, I think, to remember that. Uh, to, to the best of our ability, in terms of just history and, and research, it would seem that, that, that Crete was a very new mission field. And there were folks there that just didn't know a thing about <clears throat> the gospel, didn't know a thing about following Jesus. And yet they had responded to the teaching of the gospel. And so Paul says to Titus, you stay and straighten out what was left unfinished. Oh, thanks, Paul. That's great. And, 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 and away he goes to his, his next mission field. And, Paul said, teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. So, here's, here's Titus, the missionary, <clears throat> living in this place where people don't really know anything about what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, they have no history with uh, the, the, the law. They have no values that are that are based in the, the Jewish tradition. And so, As you read into Titus, you found that that Paul was giving all kinds of exhortations to different groups on how to live and how not to live. He said, teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled. We can assume that because that was important, that probably wasn't the way the older men lived their lives. Teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or or addicted to much wine. We can assume that perhaps that was a problem in Crete amongst some of the folks there. And he wants them to do that so that they can teach what is good and train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, so that no one will malign the word of God and teach the young men to be self-controlled. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. Teach the young men to be self-controlled. Karen, can we put that first slide up? And then he ends this this section on exhortations to certain groups with these words. Teach slaves to be subject to their master's in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything. Really? Come on, Paul. Slavery is a horrible thing. Slavery is just a a heinous sin. Is there much of anything that you can imagine that is more demeaning to a human being than to be in bondage to another, especially one that is cruel, unfair, perverse? Perverse. Slavery was a fact of life in the Roman Empire. Some historians put the slave population of Rome during this period of time at around 40%. Some slaves were treated harshly and abused. Others were not. It really depended upon the master because slaves, you see, were property. And Paul tells Titus to exhort the slaves to be subject to their masters in everything. Why? So that in every way, they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. That is Paul's great passion. That the teaching about God's salvation available through Jesus. That is his passion, that everyone know that, whatever it takes to communicate that, let that be known. One commentator says, this is a profound spiritual motive. And for a Christian, there is no higher motive than this. A slave's acceptance of the teaching about God our Savior must find expression in transformed conduct. The very difficulty of the slave's position would make such conduct a powerful recommendation of the gospel, proving to the master the power of that gospel. Wow. Acceptance of the teaching about God our Savior must find expression in transformed conduct. It is what Paul wants the Cretans to understand. And not just the Cretans, but but God's people everywhere. He believes that the gospel is beautiful. He believes that the gospel is life-changing truth and he wants people to be attracted to the gospel. I think that's why the idea of freedom that we spent time with last week is so prominent in, in his teaching. Again, not freedom to live any way we want, but freedom to live a life that sacrifices those things that are that are are more natural to us, those things that are perhaps near and dear to our hearts, we are willing to give them up. We don't have to have them for the sake of making the truth about God attractive to others. And according to Paul, that's why the Holy Spirit indwells those who are followers of Jesus, so that they can live for others rather than themselves in a way that does not exalt self, in a way that does not call attention to self, in a way that does not demand personal rights. Surrendering concerns for self at at multiple levels in our daily life, Paul believes makes the gospel attractive. And his exhortation to slaves in this instance is an appeal to, think about it, potentially... 40% 40% or more of the church in Crete to not rebel in their newfound freedom of Christ, to not stand up to their masters and say, you know, Christ has set me free, and that means that I am free from you to not stand up and, and, and push for a new life. Of course, they probably would have been killed had they done that. But the point is that Paul is speaking into a life that is difficult and saying, stay there. Stay there for the sake of the gospel. Make it attractive. Wow. Have any hard places in your life that you'd like to move out of? Have any hard people in your life that you'd like to move them out of? Your life you know and and I, I want to be cautious when I say this, because there are certainly there is room there is always room for for the individual seeking God and his wisdom and his discernment as to the particular situation that they find themselves in, but I think at least it, my sense is that, that in a culture like our own, in which we are blessed beyond imagination to the, most of the folks in other parts of the world with personal freedom and personal rights, we have expectations that come with those things, understandably so. And, and those are great blessings. But I think that can lead us to a place of always seeking what is easy and always seeking what is more comfortable. It certainly leads to things in my life when I pray that, that God would deal with a certain situation or a certain person because it is difficult rather than, oh God, what is it that you're wanting to do through me in this circumstance or with this difficult person situation in my life? Can you relate to that at all? The, the, the prayer to, to wanting hard things gone versus embracing the hard things in order to live through them And trusting God to somehow make his gospel attractive as a result of that. Well, let's let's stand and read together our text that uh, picks right up after Paul's exhortation to to the slaves. Here we go, let's read together. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Eager to do what is good. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities. To be obedient. To be ready to do whatever is good. To slander no one. To be peaceable and considerate. And always to be gentle toward everyone. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior so that, having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. My sisters and my brothers, this is the Word of God. Thank you. <clears throat> Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Boy, Paul is after a certain kind of life here, isn't he? He is, he is after a, a life of sacrifice, so clearly modeled after Christ. Karen, can we put that last slide up? There's a lot there to read, but it impacts the question that I want you to talk with the neighbor about for just a minute. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people, teaching us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself, A people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. So, talk with your neighbor. What do you think Paul has in mind by those words? A people who are eager to do good. What's that look like? Based on on what we've read here. Talk to your neighbor. What, What does that look like? People who are eager to do good. What do you think? All right. Can we talk about it for a minute? What do you think? Well, there's a lot of conversation going on here. Somebody want to start us off? What do you think Paul has in mind? People who are eager to do good. What do you think? Intentionality. Eager. Versus, oh, yeah. (laughs) Okay, intentionality. Ah. Internal motivation, not external obligation. Eager to be examples of Christ to others and with, with, with the hope that, that, that they're drawn to us. There's that, that attractiveness. What else? Yes, godly goodness rather than just being nice people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, that's a great way to say that. The potential to even be eager. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, back to, to what, kind of what Mike was saying about intentionality. Yeah, not, not, a, not a grudging. But there's no doubt about it that that is a result of, I think, cultivation of the Spirit's work in our life. Being eager to do good, yes. And, and, and I, I think we would add the, the, the work of the Spirit cultivating that, that ability, that eagerness, which, which leads to, to sacrifice. Me too. Should we go home now? <laughs> good thoughts. Yeah, learning so much of what you've said is is right on. Understanding that <clears throat> defining good, what what is good, and and understanding that that good means being more than than nice, and that following the spirit is risky because it may lead us in directions that that we didn't go before when. We felt like, well, that's what the Spirit had for us then, and, and now this this is different. Interesting that that quote is, is generally put in as like a, a quotation taken from, yeah, probably about the 6th century, I think it was Epimenides, but Paul uses that and agrees with it. Some commentators think that maybe there's a little tongue-in-cheek in the language there, I don't think that it matters. He's putting it out there, as you've pointed it out, as a contrast. Here is life that you're being called from to live this way. And, and ultimately, I think it always comes back to the idea of, of personal sacrifice in, in some form or another. Paul's thinking about God's people being eager to do good really ties right in to, to where we started this morning. A people who are living their lives in such a way that they make the truth about God attractive to others. And that attraction can be different depending upon the circumstance, particular scenario that we find ourselves in. But as the Spirit calls us to step into something, we can be sure that it will be, it will be a sacrifice. There will be a cost for us as, as we step in and, and a risk. You know, the Greek word for for attractive that Paul has used here in Titus is the word from which we we get our our English word, cosmetics. Isn't that interesting? So, ladies, why do you wear makeup? You you want to be thought of as attractive, and sometimes you get up in the morning and look in the mirror and think, that's not going to (laughs) work. I mean, that's... (laughs) <laughs> Guys, we need to think the same thing sometimes. <laughs> it's, it's, in, its, in its root word, in, in, its, in its oldest form, it means to, to adorn, to adorn. Think of your Christmas tree. You're going to be putting that up in another couple of months. Some of you are going to haul it in from the outside. Some of you are going to haul it down from the attic or up from the basement storage closet. And you're going to set it up and if it's not decorated, you're just going to leave it there, right? Why not? It needs adornment. Yeah, it, we want people to, if we're going to have a tree, we want people to come into the house and, and think that the tree is pretty. Just call attention to the Christmas tree. Now, you could do this. You could just leave this tree standing there and you could like take one of your kids or yourself and just wrap the, the things around yourself, hang the ornaments from your ears. and I know, it's really stupid. But that is kind of what Paul is driving at here. Are you living your life to adorn yourself or to adorn God? Do you want people to see you or do you want people to see God through you? Silence? To adorn. That yeah. they may adorn the doctrine of God, our and To be intentional about making it attractive. To be intentional about making it beautiful. Uh, Paul wants the people of God to make the truth about God beautiful in their lives. And and we do that, my brothers and sisters, by living lives that that point away from us. So that when we have the opportunity to talk about God to others who perhaps have seen our lives, they may begin to connect the dots. Oh so so that's what you believe about God. Or oh so that's why you Act this way or do this or say this or don't say this. That's what you believe. So I'm, tell me more, you know. I, I, I find myself attracted to your God because of what I hear and what I see in your life. That's what lies behind Paul's concern about God's people doing good. And he uses that phrase three times in our text. He uses it in the first one that you've talked about. We are his people, eager to do what is good. We also heard these words, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always be gentle toward everyone. And near the end of our text, we read, I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Paul is clearly linking the idea of doing good with a lifestyle that is lived toward others for the purpose of making God attractive to them. And all of this motivated by what God has done for us and by the return of Jesus. And that's, that's where I, I want to just wrap up this morning around those two points for a minute. This is, this is one of those duh truths of Scripture. But it's just so important to, to hear it again. It answers the bigger question, why are we here? Why are we here as the people of God? We are, we are here to make the good news of Jesus available to put it out there, to live it, and to speak it. Why why does God not save us and take us immediately to be with him? Now, true confession, some of you are praying that that happens before November 8th. Or at the latest, by January the 20th, right? (laughs) Paul frames all of this conversation between those two important truths of what God has done for us in Christ. And it seems to me that if we're going to make what we believe and what we live attractive, we're going to be relying upon the Spirit of God to constantly bring to mind what God has done for us in Christ. Rick and I were talking about that earlier this morning. The theological truths that we know and that we express. Oh yeah, yeah, God's God's grace is amazing and and he saved me and and isn't that wonderful. I, I know those truths. You know those truths. But unless the Spirit of God ignites that truth in us, it doesn't become an attraction in the way that we live our lives what God has done for us in Jesus. Amazing. That's why we call it good news. And then he also talks about the return of Jesus. The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people, teaches us to say no to ungodliness, worldly passions to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, I, I think that the life that is attractive, the life that makes the teaching about God and the truth that we believe about Him attractive to the world in which we live is a life that is going to be motivated by those two truths, starting with, wow, what God has done for me in Christ. Because that, I think, that's a statement about confidence. God has done this for us in Jesus. God has made me his child. God has secured me in his family for all of eternity. And so what do I have to lose in this world? Well, I can lose a little security in this life. I can I can lose a little respect from others. I can lose my health. I can lose my money. But I am God's for all of eternity. I am His. That I think is a is a motivator for us to live out lives of sacrifice, and and that's a confidence factor. And then the return of Jesus. That's. That is sort of a a motivational certainty, if you will. There's urgency there that Jesus is returning. He is coming. And there are those who desperately need to hear of his love and his grace. And how does that motivate us again to live a life in surrender to the Spirit that is attractive for him? It's hard work. <laughs> you know, anytime we're talking sacrifice, yuck. I'd rather you sacrifice than me. Okay? So, let's just get that straight from the, you know, from the very beginning. Personal sacrifice is just that. It is personal sacrifice. But it is it is a life that is empowered in us by the Holy Spirit calling us to the adventure of following after Christ and living sacrificially as he lived in order that the truth that we believe about God and speak and teach and live out becomes attractive to those who look at our lives. Again, not for our sakes, but God, his presence, his love, his grace through us. Make sense? Now, if it was just easy, Praise team, come on up and I'm going to pray as you do. Father, it's not easy and (laughs) I am the first to stand here and confess that. Uh, Making life about self takes no effort at all. I just do it. And uh, your spirit has come to live in us, to speak into our lives, to remind us, to challenge us, to prod us, to poke us. (sighs) to lay down concern for self so that we might live as those sacrifices for Jesus that that Paul refers to when he talks to the Romans. Living sacrifices that make the truth of who you are attractive in the eyes of others. So, Holy Spirit, we say once again how desperately dependent we are upon you. That uh, you would make these truths come to life in us. That we would be a people who are taking time on a daily basis to surrender again and again and again and again. Uh, concern for self and concern for reputation and, and finances and the future and, and on and on our concerns go. Lord, that we will be people who are involved in those things as we surrender them to you, allowing you, gracious God, to be the one who provides and cares for and and secures us because that is what you have promised. So thank you for your word. Thank you for its truth. Thank you that that uh, this ancient letter to the Cretans uh, has something for your people in this world, and here at Applewood, we are grateful. In Christ's name we pray, amen.